Hello and welcome everyone. I am Kale Flaggy and this is the Made in Gainesville podcast. On this show, you'll hear stories and get insights from business owners and leaders from across the nation that have ties to Gainesville. On this episode, we'll hear from Evan Furl, General Counsel and Vice President of Operations at Hired, a tech company based in San Francisco. Evan and I will discuss the career path that took him to Silicon Valley, how he inadvertently advised a startup company that was funded by the illegal drug trade, whether or not students should go to law school, his career in stand-up comedy, and much more. Enjoy! Thanks for coming all the way from San Francisco. That's quite a trip just for a local podcast. Yeah, well, you know, I've heard so much about it that I figured I should uh, make the journey. How many Patagonia vests do you own? Um, my count's up to three, uh, but I also have about four or five other regular Patagonia jackets, too, because you never know how many you're going to go through in a week in San Francisco. How do people in Silicon Valley refer to the area? Is the term Silicon Valley looked down on? Like, can I say that word? Uh, no, you can definitely say Silicon Valley. Um, the things you want to avoid saying are Frisco when referring to San Francisco. Do people actually do that? Um, they do. Um, Sir Mix-a-Lot does it, but he's allowed to. Um, and if you're referring to Oakland, apparently you're not supposed to call it the biggity biggity O. <laughs> okay. So you moved to San Francisco. Yeah, I was out in San Francisco for a couple quarters. Um, and then was uh, and spent a couple and qu- end of quarters out there uh, with my first company and then went to Orlando and then went back out to San Francisco. So kind of just creating the triangle of high-tech locales, Gainesville, Orlando, and San Francisco. Okay, so is Gainesville a high-tech locale? I think it's getting there. Um, a lot of good um, innovation, I think, is coming out of Gainesville. But I think what Gainesville really needs to do is let the rest of the country know that talent is coming out of Gainesville. Um, And the other thing they need to do is they need to pay to keep the talent in Gainesville. So I think a lot of what I hear is is that, oh, well, I can get really cheap talent coming out of the University of Florida. But the problem is, is that cheap talent gets a couple years of experience and they realize they can get paid $400,000 by Netflix out in Cupertino and they move immediately. So what Gainesville needs to do is they need to advertise a little better about what's here and then pay a little better to keep people here. So what has been the most difficult adjustment for you going out to San Francisco? Um, Going from probably paying $400 in rent to paying $4,000 in rent (laughs) for otherwise a third of the size of of living quarters. Um, But other than that, I think that the pace is just different. Um, It's a different vibe out there. Everybody has just kind of this killer instinct. It's like playing on a bunch of, playing with a bunch of Kobe Bryant's instead of playing with a bunch of uh, J.R. Smith's, right? You know, you go, (laughs) Uh, because I assume we'll talk about basketball later. It's, um, you know, everybody is vying to make the next big thing, to do the next big thing, and to get the job you otherwise want. So everybody's always on, everybody's always doing something, and it's really easy to feel like you're falling behind out there if you're not also always on and always doing something. Sounds kind of stressful. Yep, indeed. So you touched on this a little bit already, but what is the startup culture out there actually like? It's kind of romanticized elsewhere in the country, I feel, but nothing's really ever as it seems. So how is it? I would say that show Silicon Valley might as well be a documentary. Um, It's as close to what really happens out there. Um, You know, there are companies that have nap pods and slides and 
free food and um it, you know people roll in in shorts at 10 you know 10 a.m and you know half the people work from home the other half you have no idea where they are during the day but somehow things manage to get done and businesses manage to succeed but it is um it is just as wild and just as weird as it's otherwise romanticized to be just speaking of the show silicon valley lots of very weird and unusual situations in that show um, I know you do some startup consulting as well. What would you say has been the most interesting founder situation that you've encountered so far? Yeah, um, when you're doing startup consulting, um, it's almost like VC funding without all the money. And what I mean by that is is that you kind of try and take whatever you can get and then hope that one of those people that you can get um, makes it rich, makes it big, has a big exit, a big liquidity event. Um, unfortunately that hasn't happened while I've been doing startup consulting. Um, maybe at some point it will, but, um, because of that, I think the stories are actually more interesting. Um, I'll start off with the kind of the second best story. The second best story was, um, somebody that reached out to my company, um, and he was based in Key West and he was trying to create, um, event software or event SaaS platforms, right? So when you go to a big trade show you can otherwise see where people are where booths are and what's happening and things like that very um crowded market right now um uh and myself and the people that i work with told him that and despite us doing our best to try to get his pitch deck to try to understand more about the product he said you know you really have to see the product to appreciate it and we're like yeah we get that but we should be able to see it otherwise on a computer or on a phone. You know, the way everyone else, you, you anticipate to see this when you actually uh, debut your product. And he's like, no, you really got to make the Hajj to come see it. And I had no idea what a Hajj was at that point. I, it sounds to me like a bunch of people sitting around in a steam room in Romania to, my, to me. But uh, the Hajj is a, is a pilgrimage um, somewhere. So he kept on calling this the Hajj, that in order to really understand the product, you need to take the Hajj somewhere. You need to take the Hajj. And I'm like, okay, well, where is the Hajj? And he goes, you got to come to my house in Key West in order to truly understand my software. Um, Did you go? <laughs> um, okay, so um, I, uh, you know, obviously I'm based in San Francisco, told the, this gentleman who was otherwise very nice and thought that he had a otherwise great idea that there was no way that I could fly all the way to Key West simply to look at a demo of a product. Um, that's just not scalable for so many number of reasons. Um, but he goes, you should come. Let me give you my address in case you change your mind. Um, so <laughs> had no real plans, but just decided to give me his address anyway. So I Google mapped this house that's in the Keys. And it's just this house that's on this plot of land that has a garage but no driveway. So <laughs> so how's the, one, how's this guy getting into his house? Um, and two, why do you have a garage without a driveway? And uh, three, I don't particularly consider uh, the Keys to be an otherwise hub of innovation. It's more a hub of Jimmy Buffett and Pina Coladas. So, um, well, Jimmy Buffett was very innovative. <laughs> he, indeed. Um, he's made more money than I have uh, doing that. So I guess you can say that's true. But um, uh, needless to say, you know, I told and, and uh, the guys that I'm working with, we told him that we weren't otherwise available to take the Hajj. Uh, but if... He were to at some point be able to reveal what was behind the curtain to us uh, remotely that we'd be happy to help him in. We never heard back. So who knows? Maybe there's someone down there in his garage right now looking at his product and we missed out on millions, but uh, I don't think so. 
Do you think there's a product at all? Uh, <laughs> no. In fact, I was kind of worried about getting uh, chopped up in this guy's garage because even if the police wanted to show up, they couldn't pull up to get to his garage anyways because he's going to have a driveway. So it's like the perfect uh, place to otherwise hide bodies and uh, go undiscovered. So who knows? You said that was the, the second best story. What's the first? Okay, the first best story I actually thought was um, otherwise a, a million-dollar idea. And um, effectively what it was was a, a, heat mapping, um, a heat mapping app that would show you where uh, the hotspots were around town. Like, you know how, like, Google, when you type in a restaurant or something, it's, like, usually busy here? Well, this was for, like, young, hip um, people and so they could see where all the crowds were in the bars and otherwise go to the popular places that there were that night. So this was based in Sydney um, and he had tons of documentation, tons of you know slide decks and everything like that. And and besides being very eccentric and and hard to wrangle, which most startup founders are, he otherwise seemed to kind of know what he was doing. He had a team that otherwise seemed to be engaged with what he was doing, and he had money um you know because he was paying us and he didn't appear to have any other jobs so he's obviously paying himself um it what did get a bit concerning when he would get on video calls with us and it looked like he was in like a james bond style lair with like dark red curtains and all the windows blacked out and stuff but i'm like you know people are eccentric and you know engineering people can sometimes be eccentric which is okay and um you know totally appreciated so it's like cool no big deal and then all of a sudden um, he went dark, you know, he stopped paying, stopped responding to emails. Um, and that's happened to, to me in the past before. And you just kind of say, oh, all right, well, this person, you know, ran out of money and he didn't really care to, you know, email his consultants and, you know, whatever, no big deal. Then out of nowhere, we get an email from him and it says, uh, I need to postpone any further work with you due to legal troubles. And that was it. Um, so you bring up Google, you type this guy's name into Google, and <laughs> there's about 20 articles that come back from all the Sydney and Australian newspapers about how this gentleman and his, other, and his otherwise startup team had been caught for what amounts to be a $500 million cocaine smuggling ring. <laughs> all across Sydney um, and there's pictures all over the place of his arraignment and him getting arrested and his CTO um, apparently was smuggling even more cocaine than he was and uh, I was like oh no I would definitely call that legal trouble and the thing is that he kept on trying to email us and kept on trying to send us money and now I'm thinking well now I can't accept any money from him because this is all cocaine money uh, so um, that was so probably the I would say the, the wildest story was an otherwise great idea that turned out to be fueled by uh, cocaine sales and drug smuggling uh, to which we've never heard back from him. And that's probably for the better. <laughs> oh, man. OK, well, it's hard to have a follow up question for that. But what I was going to ask is, do you ever anticipate returning to Gainesville? Um, it's always in the back of my mind. Um, I've thought about buying property and buying a house here just to, you know, rent it out and have somewhere where I could return to. I have like dreams after a few different liquidity events in San Francisco returning when I'm, you know, 55 or 60 and, you know, teaching at the law school until I, you know, effectively build a casket around myself and 
pass away, right? Because uh, I think that's what a lot of professors at UF do, so that sounds like a pretty good glide path. But I've actually always, um, I've always really been interested in teaching, um, and I got to teach some uh, classes and present to some students at the law school this week and just really enjoyed it. Like, I remember what it was like being on the other side of that table and listening to people like me and just being wildly impressed by what they do. And I, I don't feel like I'm all that impressive right now, but I think at a certain point, maybe, you know, 20 or so years more practicing, I'll actually have something important to say to people and, uh, you know, maybe be able to impart some knowledge on the youth. And I would like to do that in Gainesville at the University of Florida Law School. I think that would be pretty cool. Should people go to law school? Oh, boy. Um, in, ge- <laughs> um, in general, no. I don't think they should. Um, I, it used to be that it's like, oh, well, I don't know what I want to do, so I'm going to go be an attorney, right? And what's interesting is that people say that about law school, but they I didn't don't. know that's what people say. Yeah, they're like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do, so I'm going to go be an attorney. And, like, that's the worst way to pick a job, you know? Um and, and what's weird is you never hear that about anything else. Like, I don't really know what I'm going to do, so I'm going to be a pharmacist. I don't really know what I want to do, so maybe I'll be an open-heart surgeon, you know? And it's, it's you now it may not, I'm, I don't think that I'm doing open-heart surgery, you know, but it's still a professional degree. It still costs a ton of money to get. And if you don't want to be an attorney, um, it's not worth going to law school. It's like, I mean, that's my opinion, of course, but it's like, well, I don't really want to be a doctor, but I'm going to go to med school anyways. Well, then why? Why not figure out what you love to do and then go do that? So, like, um I'm lucky enough that I found what I love to do. Um, I love being an attorney, um, and it's otherwise opened doors for me to, you know, get where I am today. Probably eventually work my way into COO and CEO roles down the road. Um, so it's really created that path for me. But I have a lot of friends I went to law school with. They're not attorneys now, or they are still attorneys. They hate their jobs. Um, why rack up hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt? Because you don't know what you want to do. That's the worst way to rack up debt. Because then you could you could graduate law school, still not know what you want to do, and be hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. So I would spend the time and the money figuring out what you want to do instead of just taking a guess that, you know, ah, well, maybe I should go to law school. You made the comparison to, you know, med school. You know, even if you went to med school not really knowing what you wanted to do. Like, I feel like once you get out of med school, you at least have almost a guarantee to get a high-paying job. Where, you know, coming out of law school, you, you know, like you said you could be $200,000 in debt. And, you know, I've heard people that are 10 years out of law school practicing law that are making, you know, $60,000 a year. That's right. Which isn't a bad salary, don't get me wrong. But, you know, with that $200,000 debt, it is a little rough. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, I mean, okay, so maybe in med school you'd be like, all right, well, if nothing else, I can go be a general practitioner and just tell people to take aspirin all day. And, like, um... <laughs> And like, okay, so maybe you can, maybe you can, <laughs> maybe you can do that, right? Edit that out. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> We're not to edit that out. We're just gonna be Why? Why? You don't have to edit that out. <laughs> right, well, just I don't be, think I'll you should just, edit any of this I'll out. Just put your email address at the end of the podcast, so if anybody's mad, they can take that up with you directly. My opinions <laughs> are all my own. Um, look, there are plenty of people out there that hate attorneys. So, um, and I don't hate doctors, but I think, but what I was trying. Trying to get to a, an otherwise complement of the fee, of the medical field as opposed to the legal field, okay. where I agree with you. I think that if you get out of med school, um, you you likely have a career that otherwise sets you up for financial success, even if you loathe it. I don't think that's the same thing with law. To your point, like if you never find what you want to do, and you never find a job that will pay you doing what you love, then you'll otherwise 
one, not be making the money you thought you were going to be making as an attorney, and two, hate it while you do it. And that doesn't sound fun to me at all. So, you know, um, I, I don't think that there's, I don't think there's enough prestige and honor and coolness that comes with being an attorney that warrants law school if you don't otherwise want to do it. It's cool to say you're a doctor or a jet fighter pilot or something like that, you know, like go do something that's actually like sexy and cool because being an attorney isn't. Um, in fact, it was described to me by one of the professors that I met with at the law school this week as uh, secondarily cool. And I agree with that, you know, because like if you're at the party, if you're at a party and I'm like, yeah, I'm the GC of a tech company, people are like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. But then as soon as like, you know, a rocket scientist walks in the door or a doctor walks in the door, you know, you be, you you become second chair to that person really quickly. So like it is, it's not an otherwise like glamorous, glorious field that, you know, you can get into and let your let the prestige carry you throughout your career. That's just not. That's not the case. Well, that was a good recovery. I think the, the doctors, <laughs> the doctors won't be mad anymore. There we go. Um, let's see here. Okay, let's go through your resume a bit. Yep. Um, you started at as an intern at NASA. Yep. Right. Yeah. Okay. Then some total. Yep. VMware. Yep. Hired. Yep. Can you tell me a little bit about those experiences. Definitely. Um, NASA, you know, when you grow up watching space shuttle launches and otherwise uh, getting drug along by your dad down to Cape Canaveral for the summers and he would work while I would go out and surf, uh, which I'm not sure why I didn't have Speaking a parent dad, there watching that. Can we that. get him on the podcast? Yeah, we probably should. Speaking of somebody that would be much more cool than I would. Yeah, he's, um, he's pretty cool. <laughs> it would de- definitely be him. Um, I just always thought that I wanted to work for NASA, you know. Um, it was just like a dream of mine. And you know, getting back to the whole law school comment, um, it's not like there's a lot of attorneys floating around NASA. In fact, like I didn't know that NASA had any attorneys until I was in my third year of law school. I was trying to figure out what the hell I wanted to do with my life. I had Thursdays and Fridays off from class and I was like, okay, well, what should I do? Like, all right, well, maybe I should go work for NASA, you know? And um, I looked around their website and uh, I ended up on the chief counsel's webpage and, uh, all that information is public, so I found his email and I um, wrote up a resume that probably looked terrible. Um, you know, uh, it probably still had my lifeguarding experience on there. You know, um, and shot shot a resume out to this guy that had never heard from me, never met me. I didn't know whether he was hiring. And um, two or three days later, uh, out of never thinking I was going to get a response from him, I got an email back that said, "Hey." You know, why don't you drive on down, interview for for this law, law clerk inter, intern position. We haven't hired anybody this year. Drove down. Once again, never thought I was going to get hired. Um, I was like, look, you don't even need to pay me. I'll come down here and work for free. And he's like, well, legally, I have to pay you. And I'm like, all right, that's even better. I'll take that. Um, I retract my non-pay offer and I'll take your paid offer. And then um, that's really what got me... Um, into the in-house world and into the IP world. Um, while I was at NASA, they were going through all the budget cuts. Uh, they canceled the Constellation program. Chief counsel said, you know, uh, I can't hire anybody and NASA's on a two-year budget cycle, so I can't hire anybody for two years. So I'm like, well, now that I figured out, you know, what I love doing, but I can't do it here, where the hell do I go do it? Um, and ended up finding some total. And um, one of the main reasons why some total hired me uh, first as a contracts attorney and then worked my way up to corporate counsel was because of that NASA gig. So like I owe a lot of my career in-house, not necessarily to, um, you know, crafting this amazing academic transcript, uh, frankly, but putting myself out there. I mean, I think that that's what makes technology and makes startups and makes Silicon Valley so cool is that there are 
these engineers and hopefully people like me that are helping them put themselves out there, take risks. Like that's what I did. You know, you take a risk by applying for a job that you don't think exists, applying for a job in California that you otherwise don't think you're going to get, or you think there are other people that are more qualified for you. Like putting yourself out there, whether you're applying for jobs, creating a business, creating a new app or software or whatever it may be, that's what makes what I do and the people that I support doing it really cool and really fun. Which of these jobs led you out to Silicon Valley? So the I, I would say the long-term permanent job was VMware. Uh, and that's, you know, VMware's, uh, you know, $50 billion market cap public company, like, um, and it's good to have a marquee name like that on your resume out in, in Silicon Valley. So VMware, um, you know, once again, they took a chance on me. I got hired without having ever met my manager in person. Um, I almost didn't get hired because one of my references wouldn't pick up his phone when my manager kept calling him and I had to call up uh, my references. One of my references was like, will you please just pick up for a number that you don't know so I can get this job? And he's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'll, thank you. Um, so, um, but VMware is what I, you know, although although some total was out in Mountain View, um, it, it didn't have the brand recognition that otherwise VMware did. And VMware, not only about being a brand, it also taught me what a full, full grown and mature legal department looked like. And, you know, there's 130 or, you know, plus attorneys there and legal professionals. And um, it allowed me, you know, to really, you know, cut my teeth on a lot of like big time global deals, uh, work a little bit with, you know, their M&A and securities team while I was doing it and really kind of round out my general general counsel resume um, with a company that, you know, has uh, you know, since I've left, their stock has tripled. I don't think that has anything to do with me leaving. But, uh, you know, um, but they are otherwise headed, you know, on this like great trajectory. And it was cool being a part of that. And, uh, and uh, but one of the things I'd always want to do is be the general counsel of a smaller company, be general counsel in general. Um, and I got to a point of VMware after I wrapped up my MBA where I was like, you know, it's been a really good run, but now it's time for me to like go prove that I can do it, that I can go build a legal team like VMware. I've seen that it can be done. Now I need to go prove to myself that I can do it. And that is at? Hired. And what does Hired do? So Hired, um, Hired is really cool. Um, you know, we talk about like Uber and uh, and all these companies that are disrupting processes that otherwise are boring or, 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 uh, or don't work. You know, so Uber is for the cabs, right? Well, Hired um, is for people. Hired's mission is get everyone a job they love, and it's empowering um, the candidates, really. So Hired started out as a company called Developer Auction, um, and it was exactly what it sounds, right? Companies would bid on the people, um, and that's what really empowered the individual. And now we, we still do that. We use, we use uh, uh, proprietary algorithms to match individuals with companies that are hiring on our platform. And uh, it takes the guesswork out of recruiting. It's almost like the Match.com or the Tinder, depending on which app you're on, of, uh, of, of recruiting. So uh, candidates have to apply to get onto Hired. We have a really low, I think it's like sub 5% acceptance rate on Hired. Um, and then we also just acquired an assessments tool. So now engineers can actually prove out their coding and their, and their te- technical skills on the service as well. So that not only proves out their uh, abilities, but then we use our algorithms to match them with clients that are kind of that perfect fit, exactly what they're looking for. So then those clients will still apply and send interview requests to the candidates. So if you're otherwise a great 
candidate that's taken our assessments and passed everything and everything's good. You just sit on the platform and let job, you know, uh, you know, job offers float into you. It's uh, it, it it empowers the individual as opposed to powering the com- empowering the company. So, what does a general counsel do there? So. I run um, both our legal and our operations team uh, very recently have been um, provided the opportunity to run the operations team. Um, And I think there's a lot of synergies there. So um, we do everything from all of our outbound um, revenue generating agreements, so our subscription agreements, all of our inbound vendor agreements, um, all of our privacy and data security. We're an international company, so there's a lot of compliance that goes along with that. Um, so we're working with you know engineering teams. We work with our product teams to make sure that as they develop new features and new functionalities, that they're all running along with the rules and regulations that are otherwise coming out, like GDPR, Cal Privacy Act, things like that. Um, we do um, we work with HR on all the employment work. So you know we employ people internationally as well. We employ contractors. We make sure that that all runs uh, compliantly and according to plan. Um, uh, myself and my corporate counsel work really closely with the executive team, um, of which you know I'm a part of the extended executive team. So um, that's all the board work, all the board meetings, all the you know the corporate compliance and securities work that goes along that. Like startup companies, we do a lot. We do fundraising. So as we go through fundraising, it's all of the investor work around that as well. So um, it's. It's, it's everything, you know, real estate, we're going through a Toronto move and a San Francisco move. So uh, my operations managers are, are doing a great job of kind of working us through that as well. So, you know, you name it, legal and ops kind of touches it. So through your college and career path, you managed to find time to also be a stand-up comedian. Yep. How far did you get down that road? Um, boy, I had um, a... Uh, a meteoric and then almost immediate um a meteoric rise and almost immediately quit um kind of out of nowhere so um i started doing that when i was in law school and they're one of the comedy clubs that was here in gainesville they did a um like an open mic night and you know i prepared three minutes um it went probably fairly poorly the first time i was up there i'm sure i thought i did great but i'm fairly certain it was bad um but I got to meet some of the, you know, professional uh, comedians uh, and started, they started inviting me to some of their shows that were kind of all around the state of Florida, around the East Coast, uh, ended up, you know, getting introduced to some comedy clubs, started featuring, uh, you know, headline for a couple of festivals, did um, the TBS uh, Just for Laughs competition when I was in college, um, ended up doing the Laughing Skull Comedy Festival, which was a big comedy festival up in Atlanta. And there I got to get featured on uh, Comcast, on Sirius and XM, or Sirius Satellite Radio. Um, Then ended up doing a lot of colleges with uh, two of my really good buddies, Chris Cope and JC Karias. So we got um, an agent and started doing college shows. They, at the same time I moved to Silicon Valley, um, they moved to LA, and now they're all doing amazing stuff i mean um jc has been on you know the lethal weapon show he's a regular on a disney show um you know chris has done a ton of different television work ton of different stand-up work um he got to meet denzel washington which i'm like are you kidding me like i could have met denzel washington so like um maybe i made the wrong choice but um when i got to san francisco i realized that my career as an attorney is what really started mattering more to me um stand-up started feeling like another job and I just loved it so much while I was doing it I didn't want to like 
get to a point where it felt like it was more work when I got done with it. So um, I kind of very quickly just decided like, hey, I had had a good run. You know, I toured nationally, uh, you know, been featured on, you know, TV and, you know, radio programs and stuff like that. So otherwise, in a really short period of time, had a really fun career, met a lot of really amazing people. Some of the smartest people I met are stand-up comedians that are otherwise out there grinding and sleeping in their car and stuff. So like, um, really cool experience. Glad I did it. But, um, you know, for now, I think my uh, time behind the mic, even though I'm currently behind a mic, I suppose, is uh, <laughs> is uh, is over for now. So no regrets. You don't ever wonder what it would have been like. All the time. All the time. Um, in fact, uh, my wife and I, uh, you know, always talk about, you know, if things go well in Silicon Valley and we otherwise, you know, have a couple liquidity events and companies get sold and, you know, that, that, you know, maybe at some point we'll move down to Southern California and uh, hopefully by that time she's a big time executive and I can otherwise become a deadbeat stand-up comedian and just mooch off her for the rest of my life. And I think that would be actually a pretty good gig for me. That does sound good. <laughs> All right. I've got one more question for you. All right. It's an important one. Yeah. It's going to be a little uncomfortable. Okay. You ready? Yep. Michael Jordan, great basketball player or the greatest basketball player of all time? Did you say Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is a great basketball player. Six for six in the finals. He is a great basketball player. Right. Who's but better? He's, oh, LeBron James. Best basketball player of all time. Six for six in the finals. Yeah, but well, he had Scottie Pippen. He had Dennis Rodman. Wins or wins. Steve Kerr. Doesn't matter. He had a great cast around him. LeBron James otherwise drug like a trailer park full of terrible basketball players to the finals and won. For Cleveland. For Cleveland. The rings don't lie. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you, you just you have to look at the level of play. And I would argue that, you know, today the Phoenix Suns, you know, probably could have made the finals back in the 90s too. It's just a different level of basketball. Like you look at um, playing basketball with Steph Curry, KD, you know, Russell Westbrook, uh, James Harden, all these people um, – would have gone six for six in the nineties too. It is just, it, it's, it's the same reason why like you can't say that some, you can't say that Ben Hogan is a better basketball player than Tiger Woods. You know, you just can't, you can't do it. They may have, he, he may have won just as many. I mean, I, you Tiger know, Woods plays basketball. <laughs> Tiger Woods might be pretty good at basketball too, actually. You, said ben, you said Ben Hogan's a better basketball player than Tiger Woods. Oh, really? Okay. Um, you know, I, no, I don't know that Ben Hogan, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how any of them, how any of them are at basketball, but it's the same thing. I, I, although I, I, I don't know that you can necessarily compare them, but you can compare the competition they otherwise had. So Tiger Woods playing against like Phil Mickelson and people like that, the, the field of play and the field of competition is just so much more intense. It's so much harder now um, that to say that Michael Jordan, who uh, never played, never played against so many all-stars. LeBron played against more all-stars when he was going through his finals run, right? So I think you can't just look at the resume of somebody. You have to, you have to look at the competition that they built that resume around. And I think you, no one should be able to say or can say that the competition of the 90s was otherwise better than the current era of basketball. All right, so we'll put you down for Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player of all time. Who won racquetball today? I did. Oh, not going easy on the old man. No. I need, I need to win at some point. <laughs> all right, well, Evan, thanks for coming on the show. All right, thank you. 